Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us for INC Radio, your new stop for everything in the world of mixed martial arts and beyond. My name is Carl Bimbridge, trying to hold the fort on this channel. And I want to say a big thank you to all the support that people have given INC over the years. We're trying to branch out into new ventures and hopefully people will enjoy this content as much as we did on our YouTube channel. As is always the case though, we ask for any sort of support that you can give to obviously get the channel growing as much as it can. So if you can donate anything to our Patreon page, it's patreon.com forward slash it's not cage fighting. All the money that you put towards us will go back into the channel. We'll use that to improve a lot of our recording equipment, editing equipment, and hopefully try and make this as big and as strong as possible because we're all big fans of mixed martial arts and want to try and share that with the rest of the world. You are obviously here though to listen to us talking about the world of MMA and I have a special guest to do so. Now a lot of people have wanted me to do a collaboration with this man for a long, long time. I'm happy to say we've got him in over from Canada. It's uh, Clay from Uncle Joey MMA. Clay, thank you very much for joining us. It's good to be here. I wanted to be here for a long, long time now. I wanted to do a narration, but I feel like this is a good stepping stone to see where we are. And it's fantastic as well to see this sort of approach, I think, when it comes to YouTube. And I always find with, with MMA, more than any other sport, it attracts that big sort of YouTube community in a way that yeah. maybe something like boxing or, or soccer or football maybe doesn't do. Yeah, you don't really see any NBA like content creators. Like you don't see like Uncle Joey MLB edits or anything like that. Like you don't see really anything outside of MMA like that. I'm sure maybe maybe like NBA a little bit, but not really. You know, I haven't seen any confident LeBron James videos yet. Yeah, nothing like that. <laughs> I do want to talk to you about your approach when it comes to editing. Obviously, as mentioned before, MMA and YouTube seem to go line astern. Do you think a lot of that is down to, this is arguably sort of a a sport geared towards the 18 to 30 audience and that maybe that appeals to obviously like YouTubing and podcasting. It's so much more prominent with this sort of fan base because of how old you are. Yeah, definitely. I feel like well, really, it appeals to primal instincts, and I feel like fighting, you know, the lead demographic for that is probably, like, people probably around the age of 18 or 16, around there, you know, they're trying to appeal. I don't want to say they're appealing to teenagers and stuff, but that type of stuff, it appeals to a general audience, because I guess fighting is just in anybody. Joe Rogan says it all the time on his podcast, like, fighting is just... And in anybody, anybody wants to see it. Like, you see something like a huge knockout, like Ben Asker versus Jorge Masvidal. Like, that went, like, viral and everything. Like, of course, that's going to attract just general audiences. Like, they want to see something like that. So I think the general audience for that is definitely younger people. I went on Facebook the day after USC 239. Like, I avoided all the spoilers, obviously, because I live in the UK, we're not... Yeah, the time zones. Time zone's awful here. I mean, we're having to stay up till about 3 or 4 o'clock. Most of the time, we just... We get hours through uh, something called BT Sport. 
So what we'll do yeah, is we'll I just know about that. yeah. Yeah, curse them for putting uh, 246 on box office. Not a, not a lot of people are happy about that one. Yeah, I can't believe they're doing something like that. Well, some of these... Do you think it's because of piracy? Do you think it's because of piracy and that? I just think it's greed, to be honest. I think that they've obviously seen that, yes, here we have a sport in MMA that has quite a dedicated niche audience. If we put some of our bigger fights behind the paywall, like the John Joneses, the Khabibs, the Connors, yeah. etc. People are going to pay the money towards it. I don't think it's as successful as they think it is. Because if you notice, they seldom release how many people have bought the pay-per-view. Yeah, I don't think they want to disclose those numbers. If there is laws, what how, I think they are. How much does it sell? Do you know how well that's doing on box office, BT box office, whatever it's called? I don't know the figures off the top of my head. Um, there are some figures out there. I'll have to try and look them up at some point. But they do say that the Connor pay-per-views, when they were on just free to air, would do okay given the um, given the time that they were on. But I can't imagine those people staying up, paying the say extra what twenty twenty pounds in this country. Yeah, I couldn't see somebody doing that in their time zone and paying to see, like, Amanda Nunes versus, like... I don't see anybody in the UK staying up and paying for that. No. Um, I did... Am I right in saying that's the lowest... The lowest grossing pay-per-view of the modern era? I think... I seem to remember reading somewhere that did less numbers than UFC 1. Wow, that's... That's ridiculous. I always see you saying that, but I don't believe it. Do I, you know the exact number or no? I think UFC 1 did 85,000 and Nunez Pennington did 80,000. Holy crap. <laughs> and the sad thing was, it was a really good card as well. I mean, it had like, what, 11 finishes? No, not 11 finishes. It was something like eight, 8 finishes out of 11. And you had Jacare versus Kelvin, which was a great fight. One of the best knockouts of the year when Machida knocked out Belfort. It was a really underrated card. Yeah, I remember watching that with my roommate, and I don't remember... He's, like, a casual guy. Like, it was, like, his first time ever watching a pay-per-view. Like, I just moved into a new place, and he, I showed him that pay-per-view because it was on at the time, obviously. And he, he liked the Belfort knockout. He liked the Jacare fight. He liked the Nunes fight. So I didn't think it was that bad of a card, but I, I'm surprised. But obviously, in your time zone... Oh, in this, um, in this area, it definitely... I can't imagine it doing good numbers whatsoever. Yeah, because it was like pretty much a Brazilian card, so yeah. And there used to be a time as well where the Brazil cards always used to be. It was almost one of the marquee events. It was sort of like Madison Absolutely. Square Garden, Fight Week, New Year's Eve, and Brazil. Absolutely, it wasn't until recently when they started doing it in Vegas a lot. But normally, yeah, you're right. Normally, it wasn't Brazil. I forgot. <laughs> See, I'm, an, I'm pretty much new, like, the last, like, pretty much the first card that really hooked me was the Brow fight. Like, that must have been, which one was that, UFC 170-something, If you're talking about Dillashaw, 173. 173, yeah. That's, uh, that was the first one I ever watched live. I was a little bit of a newer school fan. Um, I have to be honest, I got caught up in the whole Conor McGregor sort of hysteria. I saw the 13-second knockout of Aldo, 
So of course, when he's going to be fighting again at 196, I thought, I'm going to see what all the fuss is about. Yeah, I don't like to admit it, but that's what I got really hooked into it. That's when I started thinking about doing videos like that after the Connor fight. So yeah, I, I admit it. After the Aldo knockout, I, I pretty much was stunned that something like that could even happen to you, because that stunned me even more than the Burrell knockout, obviously. It's so sad to see what happened to Burrell after that. Because, I mean, this guy was, what was it, 32 fights in a row, in a row he won? Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I'm working on something with Burrell, but 13 fights in a row he lost. I remember the last fight he did, like, I'm pretty sure the guy didn't even have a wiki page or something like that. I don't think it was the last fight, but maybe the fight before that, the guy didn't even have a wiki page and he lost by knockout. Like, it was pretty depressing, actually. I think maybe... I think maybe TJ took something out of him. I don't. I, everybody likes to say that, like a fighter took something out of another fighter, but I really think it was either that or Usada. I think. I mentioned that when I was talking about. Obviously, we did the two forty six preview, and I made the same sort of suggestion when I talked about Claudia, because Claudia, before the Andrade fight, very aggressive fighter, fantastic wrestling, yeah, so strong. For titles. Yeah, I mean, she pushed Joanna all the way in that second fight. But then the Andrade fight happened. It was an absolute war, and I don't think she's ever been the same since. A good case for that one, if you're talking about a fighter taking somebody out, is uh, probably Rockhold versus Weidman 1. I always show that one clip where he's in ground and pound, and Herb Dean, I don't know what the hell he was doing during that fight. Like, I think if you watch, like, they have that series called 2020 or whatever. It's a, a YouTube series and a Fight Pass series where they have, like, text at the bottom of the screen. Sometimes it'll show, like, trivia, but a lot of the times it'll be, like, behind-the-scenes stuff for the fight. And, like, at that point, you can see them, like, tell you, look at Herb Dean's hand after that round. And you can see him pretty much waving off the fight, but it kept on going pretty much. You can see him almost about to wave off the fight but it kept on going so that's one fight i have no idea i i, I don't know i don't know what was going on with the refereeing in that fight don't get me Dude. wrong I, I think i think herb dean is he's still up there as one of the best referees right now but recently some of his stoppages or non-stoppages have been pretty dodgy i mean the one that sticks in my mind i think it was dolloway on the moscow card which one was that? Was that against Hector Lombard? Uh, no, that was that was when he was fighting the Russian guy. I don't know his name off the top of my head. And the Russian guy had him in full mount. Proper ground and pound. Very similar to what happened with Rockhold and Weidman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that fight. And eventually he just got to the stage where Dolloway took so much damage, his team wouldn't let him go out for the next round. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And then he went over and fought in Rise, and we saw how well that did. Didn't go well. I do rate uh, Prochaska, if I pronounce his name properly. I do rate Yuri Prochaska. I think that's how I pronounce it. Yeah, Yuri Prohashka. Prohashka. Yeah, it's a silent uh, uh, CH. <laughs> it's Prohashka. But yeah, he's pretty much like the only real Japanese champion they have over there. He's not technically Japanese, but like he loves Japan so much. Like he's always trying to learn Japanese and everything. So he's pretty much their only real Japanese champion they have in Ryzen right now. 
I'm, Kai Asakura didn't get the title. He was like pretty much their next shot. I'm hearing rumors that he might be considering a UFC offer. Yeah, I think him and uh, their lightweight Grand Prix champion, he got a UFC offer as well. I could see him... I couldn't imagine him saying, like, fighting John Jones, but the way light heavyweight is, pretty much anybody can fight John Jones if they win, like, three fights in a row. But put him against someone like a like an OSP or a Krylov, someone of that sort of ilk? I think a great fight would be Johnny Walker versus Yuri if Walker gets to Krylov. I think that would be a really interesting fight because they're both pretty much rising fighters. Like, Johnny Walker, he's pretty much made for, like, global rule set or... What is the rule set called in Japan? What is it? Oh, it's, it's on tip of my tongue. I can't think of it off the top of my head. I always freeze up in podcasts when I'm thinking about <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> Technicalities. That's the thing as well. I, I noticed that as well. Is You come up with a lot of ideas of, okay, I'm going to be talking about this on a podcast. And the moment you see that red light in front of you, you just freeze up. And you just start rambling on about nothing. But... That's the appeal, maybe, for a lot of people these days with podcasting is free-flowing conversations. Normal people talking about normal Absolutely. things. Absolutely. Can't rehearse this. You can't. I am interested about just going on to, obviously, the YouTubing side of things. You've chosen to go through this sort of very stylized approach to your work. Is that something that you intentionally chose to do? Well, what happened was, uh, if you go back, you can check and see, like, my earliest videos. There's no filters. There's nothing like that. You don't really see that many transitions. I was still pretty much learning at the time. You can see I'm getting better and better every single video. Like, right now, I'm pretty much in my peak. But, like, about, I want to say, when was this? About May last year, I got, like, a bunch of copyright strikes. I got three, but I somehow didn't go down. What happened was I got, like two on two videos but it counted it as one and then i got another one later like literally the next day so i think what happened maybe they sent out two at the exact same time and it counted as one so i got extremely lucky there so i had to private everything and what i did in that break is i just basically researched and tried out a bunch of new techniques and editing and then i came back and i tried out this new filter idea that i had Basically, what you do is you try and psych out the automatic filters for copyright strikes. And basically, you just spam as much filters as you can. Like, you can see I add wavy lines and everything to make it look like a VHS tape and everything. And I think, I think that's worked. Like, it's been how many months now? I, start, I went back in, like, I think, I think September I came back. And everything's held up so far. Everything's gotten a lot better, actually. But, yeah, I think what I did, it wasn't intentional. Like, I didn't intend to do that. Like, I wanted to do just basically, like, no filters at all. But I think it actually worked out. I think, it, I think it's better with all that. It actually makes it feel like a, you know, like a content creator's behind it. You're just not pasting just footage and it's just raw bypass footage you know i'm not gonna say anything because that's i'm, I'm sort of oh, yeah, on that latter group i have to be honest <laughs> do you ever go back and watch your old stuff it's hard to do but yeah i do i have a bunch of them that are still privated and i'm like if i unprivate this 
I'm probably going to get a copyright strike. But a lot of these older videos, they got a bunch of views. Like, I got a Chris Cyborg video. It's got 700K views. That's my most viewed video. It's just literally like Cyborg highlights with a Terminator soundtrack. Like, that's literally all it is. But I, I don't want to do it. I'm too afraid. <laughs> How do you think Chris is going to do against Julia Budd? I think it's going to be an interesting fight, but Julia Budd, she's definitely gotten a lot better, but I've seen highlights of people are posting old Nunez clips, and I saw Julia Budd versus Nunez for the first time, and that's like a 15-second knockout. It's crazy. Have you seen that fight? I have, actually. I've had, I did research on it. Obviously, I had to look up stuff for Nunez for some yeah, of the it's previews. In force. It's in strike force. Nunez early in her career is a, a funny one for me because obviously we've got a lot of people right now who are very high on her and it's very easy to see why obviously the things she's done but then it's hard for me to take that on board and then see her getting stopped by Alexis Davis. Definitely. I mean obviously fighters get better over the years but when you have a loss like that which is so dare I say humiliating and then you're seeing people saying, oh, she's the greatest female fighter of all time. It's quite hard to put the two together. It's the same reason why I'm not too sold on Stipe being the GOAT when you watch him get knocked out by Struve. Yeah, and if you look back, like, I love Stipe. Like, you see, I got the Iron Eye Stipe video and everything. I even got, like, a Stipe shirt. I think I'm wearing it right now. If I had a webcam, you'd probably see it. I always wear it whenever I'm on a podcast. But, uh... I, I think in that last fight, he was pretty much kind of losing it, you know? Like, it was, a, it was a huge comeback. When you look back and you watch the fight, like, there were so many times it probably could have gone the same way. Like, there were so many times DC caught him in the same move that he got knocked out with in the first fight. So, I, I'm kind of with you, unfortunately. But I don't I don't think DC's the GOAT either, no. you know? I think we need, we need a clear contender at heavyweight, because everybody always says, oh, Kane, but Kane was on, like, a two-fight win streak, all that, and then Verdum and all that. I think we need a more clear contender, you know? Say no Anderson Silva or anything. There's nothing in the heavyweight that went on, like, a insane win streak other than Fedor, and that's why I always really say Fedor. It's still fade off for me. I was actually thinking about doing a, a segment on the YouTube channel where I I look at fighters who could be considered the GOAT or very similar fighters and weigh up their pros and cons. So like we look at their success before the title win, the actual vein itself, and then weighing up the pros and cons and then seeing who is actually the best between the two. So you could do, yeah, say, Steepy versus Fade or, or Max versus Aldo, etc. I think in the Max versus Aldo situation, I think I'm going to say Aldo, because WEC Aldo was insane, like, I got a video called Aldo with hair, you know, he had hair back in the day, and he was insane back then, like, you see that Cub Swanson fight, that flying, that was pretty much Jorge Masvidal before that even happened, like, you pretty much beat him to the punch on that one, you got the Uriah Faber fight, and then you, he came into the UFC and he was pretty much the same guy, until the pretty much the Connor fight obviously but yeah I'm gonna say Aldo on that one what do you think about uh when it comes to flyweight you think uh obviously it's Mighty Mouse Henry, you think it's Mighty Mouse I still think it's Mighty Mouse I mean Henry obviously he has all the achievements before he got into MMA which nobody can take that away from him but MMA and wrestling are completely different things 
in my opinion. Well, when we're talking about like the greatest fighter ever, I like to say Demetrius because he's been through all the eras. He's been through before the Reebok era. He's been he's been pretty much everywhere, you know. And he's only had that split decision loss to Henry, basically. But he was never like you know he was never knocked down or anything. Like it wasn't like. TJ or not TJ um Cody versus Cruz it wasn't anything like that like he wasn't completely outclassed or anything like I feel like if he got a rematch it could go either way you know I feel like that could go either way well that's got the second fight for um for DJ I thought DJ won the second fight which fight sorry I thought DJ beat uh, Cejudo second time round oh yeah I could definitely see him beating that a third time around if they have a third fight i could see that but in the first fight or the second fight i'd have to rewatch it it was so, such a long time ago i've only seen it live that's not a fight i've gone back and watched but i remember that fight at the beginning like um Cejudo, like rolled his ankle and i thought it would be completely over if you go back and watch like he rolled his ankle and it looks like he like broke it or something but it just keeps on going I think that's pretty funny, actually. I thought it would be over when I was watching that live. If there's one thing I regret when it comes to my YouTube videos, I did one where I looked at the 10 greatest flyweight fights. I had that one, I think, around number 7, number 8. If I did that video again, I'd probably move it into the top 5. What do you have in the top 3 for that? Uh, the top 3, I think it was... I think it had... Um, Della... Yeah, Delos Rios vs. Sancha Arn, that was number three. Number two was Mighty Mouse versus Ian McCall, the first fight. And number one was uh, John Lineker and Louis Gaudino. John Lineker and Louis Gaudino. Which one, when was that? That sounds kind of familiar. It was one of the first... Gaudino, I don't, I don't know Gaudino, but that, that fight does sound familiar. Like, I feel like I've seen that. It was Lineker's UFC debut... Um, I think it was one of the early ESPN cards, and the, they are just absolutely swinging right from the off. It's just like watching a fight in fast forward. Oh, okay, I'll have to watch that on bypass. But yeah, I, I might have seen, I've probably seen clips of that, but thinking about it off the top of my head, I don't, I don't think it, <laughs> I can't think of it. It's a fun fight, and Gordon knows it quirky character as well because he's got like the full-on clear guida hair but it's bright green <laughs> all right i'll have to take it out what do you think about john lineker now i think they he signed to one like they've had him on the shelf for like a couple months now but i think he's finding one i've always been very high on john lineker i don't see him ever being like a title contender or anything like that but the guy was so entertaining to watch so aggressive I've always been, as much as I appreciate technique and skill and that sort of thing, I always love that sort of Vandalay style of hands-down, wild swings, brawling style. Absolutely. In that last fight, he had, um, which fight? I need to look up this fight. John <laughs> I think it was the same card. His fight against Brian Kelleher, that's the one on the new versus Bennington car that comes to mind because I remember that's the one that even my roommate he was watching he he loved that fight that, that was an amazing fight good fight and I mean yeah Kelleher maybe might not be the the greatest bantamweight in the world but he was game in that fight 
He gave it as much as he could, but then Lineker obviously got that big knockout at the end. I'm telling you, very underrated pay-per-view. That's why I'm surprised he said only did 80,000 pay-per-view buys. I think, there's a lot, surprising. I think there's a lot of casual fans that just look at the name at the top and they're not willing to sort of appreciate what's happening away from that. It, I mean, even when, obviously, US two, UFC 229, which was Conor versus Khabib, you had a stacked undercard. And obviously, you had Pettis versus Ferguson there, Derek Lewis with his last-minute knockout. But nobody was talking about that in the days afterwards. Not really. I'm seeing, like... Only really times you see about the Derek Lewis versus Volkan knockout is when he's fighting next. Like, that's the only real time you hear about it when they're posting clips. But I think that should have been, like, comeback of the year for that that card. I think that should have been... I got to think of... When was that, 2018? I got to think of more comebacks in that year. But that, that should have been up there in comeback of the year. Volkov was walking away with that one. I, I'm very high on Volkov. I've always liked that sort of tall, rangy striker. I would have been interested to see what would have happened if Volkov won that fight because obviously there was a lot of issues getting the main event for 230. And eventually that became... Yeah, I don't think Volkov would have bit on getting a main event in MSG. I don't think he would have done that. I really don't think he would have. I think they probably would have offered him a bunch of money, but I'm pretty sure he didn't want to do that on that short of an early notice. I think Derek only really did it because they paid him a bunch of money, he said. <laughs> and DC definitely wouldn't have done it. I think he took that Derek fight because he knew it was an easier win. Absolutely. So my question is, what would he have done instead? Because there was a lot of rumours they were going to do Shevchenko versus Sijava Eubanks. Yeah, that was even on the card at some point. Like, that was the main event at one point, And it was, it was awful. I remember the reaction to that. It was hilarious. But... I honestly think they probably, they probably would have figured out something with um, the Sajara Eubanks thing. I think they would have. I don't want to say they would cancel the whole thing, you know, but they would. It's hard to say, you know. You can't really think. Like it's such a long time ago. I can't even think about where the UFC was even at around that time. Like that was before Volkanovski and everything was on the scene, you know. That was such a long time ago. And I think Sajava missed weight for that fight because yeah, she was, she was gonna, she eventually ended up fighting Roxanne Modafferi, and she ended up missing weight. So this sort of like really unpopular main event wouldn't have even been for a title anyway. Yeah, I think maybe they would have had to call up Cerrone or something. <laughs> like I don't know, that's such a bad situation to even think about. We're not in the offices chairs. Like there's no way we could make that call. Where do you personally stand on UFC 246? Obviously, we've got Connor versus Cowboy coming up. We touched on this in a lot of detail when we did uh, the preview show, and I've said a big thank you to Tim Claus for joining me for that one. There's a lot of people out there who maybe think this is just a bit of a bit of a gimme fight for Connor. Yeah, a lot of people think this card was like made for Connor, but if you look deeper, if you don't come at it with a casual's eye and you actually dig into these fights, they're not bad, I'm not going to say. They're not bad. Like, you got Andre Philly versus Sadiq Yusev. Like, that could easily be on the, the main card, to be honest. I'm very high on that fight. On there. 
versus Roxanne Modafferi. I think I got Roxanne pulling off the upset. I, I don't know. I think she's going to do it. You know, you go back and watch the Macy Barber's last fight. She was, her striking wasn't like, you know, elite level. That's when she was saying she was going to be like Connor and Ronda level. That was a while ago, I think. But yeah, I think Roxanne pulls off the upset. Veteran instinct. Because Roxanne, she's been, she's been in there forever. You know, she's kind of a pioneer. I don't want to say she was like a, you know, the star of women's MMA, but she was definitely in the pioneer days, you know? I think it's amazing to watch some of Roxy's early fights because you can get some of them on Fight Pass. I mean, these were in high school gyms and she was fighting. And yet, of all the people from those sort of early years who's still on the scene, you never would have thought that she would be the one. So you have to give her all the credit in the world. I mean, I know she's a bit awkward and she she sort of moves like a body snatcher but you have to give it all the credit in the world to still be doing it absolutely she's been in the pioneer days you know i feel like it's pretty ironic that she had to get into the ufc by fighting in tough like i feel like she should have been part of like a big signing when they brought in pretty much all the strike force women and everything i feel like she should have been brought in too but uh flyweight division i they didn't really introduce that until recently you know but i feel like flyweight should have always been there it's strange that they waited so long to introduce flyweight obviously bantamweight got in because it was like it was the ronda division and yeah. then Strawweight obviously built its own sort of fan base with Invicta. So you had to transfer all those girls over. But Flyweight never really had that. I don't know if it was because maybe obviously Barb Honchak was the Invicta champion for a long time and she became quite inactive. Had a lot of things going on, hardly ever defended the belt. And I think maybe that sort of stifled Flyweight. It never got that sort of momentum in the way that, say, Strawweight did. Yeah, you don't really see like a, a breakout star like a Ronda or a Gina Carano you don't really have anything like that in the flyweight division I mean I know they're trying to build the division right now around Shevchenko but even then Shevchenko's not really it's yeah, strange I'm just talking about like back in the day during strike oh yeah they didn't really have a breakout star but now they're you have a right point they're they are building Shevchenko to be that star and yet I don't feel like Shevchenko... Shevchenko's a strange one for me because she's capable of pulling, obviously, these big highlight reel knockouts. She's a very pretty girl as well. But she's not really capturing the casuals like I thought she might have done. I mean, even when she headlined against Pena, she did the she headlined the Fox card. Didn't really do all that good ratings. I think her fight with Nunes only did like 100,000 buys. So she hasn't been like that big pull that I thought she might have done. And it's strange because she's, I feel like she could have beaten Nunez in that second fight, you know, she was, that's the fight where she was like yelling after the fight, she was complaining, she was saying she won the fight and everything. I feel like it could have gone either way, but you have a point, I don't get why it's not really capturing casual audiences with the, you know, she had that highlight reel knockout over Jessica I, but I feel like the fight with um, Liz Carmouche, I feel like you have something like that and you know they have uh what's that thing um recency bias yeah you have something like that happen and people just automatically think oh you're just gonna be a boring point fighter you know i've always felt that shevchenko especially a flyweight 
I think he, I wouldn't call him a point fighter, but I think he takes the path of least resistance to get the victory. So if she's going up against a striker, she'll grapple. If she's going up against a wrestler, she'll keep it standing. It, it's very similar to what GSP did. How do you see her fight with Chukasian playing out? Uh, I'd have to go back and watch some of Kaylin's fights. Like, I'm trying to think of a fight that she's been in that's going to pop up in my head. Uh, what was her recent fight? Like, yeah, I'm trying to even think. It was Jennifer Meyer. It was on the fight pass of the Madison Square Garden card. Not the most exciting fight in the world, I have to be honest. Um, I have to be honest, I'm not the most sold on Caitlin Chukasian as an entertainer. I mean, obviously, her fighting style is very effective. I mean, she's only lost two fights. Both of those were split decision losses. But it's a very evasive, risk-averse style. And I think, it to be honest, it reminds me a lot of Elias Fyodoru. Like, Elias would just keep moving from side to side, and a lot of people would just get frustrated because he just wouldn't stand still. And he ended up winning yeah. so many like split decisions just because he looked as if he was doing more. I feel like if Elias Theodoro, uh, I feel like if he went to PFL, I feel like he could probably win that. Like, he's just got the point style. Like, I feel like it's perfect for something like PFL. Like, he's never really been knocked out. Like, he went up against Derek Brunson. Sure, he lost, like, a decision. But it wasn't, like, a brutal display of, like, knockout power from Brunson or anything. I feel like he could win something like PFL. I think he just started fighting again. It was one of the Canadian regional shows. Yeah, it was, it's PFC Prospect Fighting League in Windsor, Ontario. <laughs> Don't ask me how I know that. I think I only know that because uh, I'm following him on Twitter, that's all. Isn't he the Invicta Ring Boy? Yeah, he does the Invicta Ring Boy. Which I think, credit to him, I think, I think you've got to have fighters who have a bit of sense of humour. You've got to have somebody who's always willing to laugh at himself and... I think it's good for him that he's not taking himself too seriously. He's willing to do something like that. I just think it's funny that he can get paid for something like that. He's pretty much just modeling, but it's just under a different title. Obviously, you're from Canada, and obviously you have some like following of the regional scene. Who are the big Canadian guys we should be looking out for? Um, Kyle Nelson, I believe. Do you know Kyle Nelson? He's I've seen him on a couple of the uh, regional cards. I think he took. Yeah, he's a good up and comer. I believe he was training with Connor recently. Canadian MMA's there has been a, a bit of a lull, obviously, since the GSP days. And I know they tried to groom Rory McDonald to sort of be the next big Canadian star. And obviously, Rory's chosen to pursue his career in uh, Bellator. But I sort of feel like there's been a bit of a lull in terms of like the Canadian talent coming through. Like, yeah, I, I feel like it's kind of embarrassing that when you ask me that, the first thing that comes to mind is Kyle Nelson. <laughs> like, I feel like I should have brought up Roy McDonald, you know, but he's off fighting in PFL, so who knows how that's going to go. Welterweight division there. I mean, he's in. He's going to be fighting, I don't know which, yeah, welterweight division, right? Yeah, it's going to be welterweight next year. On the welterweights? Yeah. I think, who won that? Was it uh, Roy, Roy Cooper the third? Ray Cooper. Ray Cooper, yeah. That. I do like Ray Cooper as a fighter, but Rory, I feel like if he gets in PFL, it would be, might be an easy win for him, you know. I feel like he won't really be testing himself there. 
I like what PFL are doing, mind you. Just going off on a bit of a tangent because I always like. Yeah, I was gonna ask you, like, do you even stay up for PFL? Like, it must be on such insane hours for you. I have to be honest. When it comes to stuff like that, I watch it um, a couple of days after. Um, really, when it comes to British broadcasting of MMA, obviously you've got UFC on BT, uh, Channel Five, uh, which is one of our um, terrestrial channels. They do some of the Bellator cards in the UK, and Sky do the ones which are overseas. Oh, okay. So I mean, we we actually do have a lot lot of people in this country. I, I dare I say there's as many people who probably know who say Michael Venom pages compared to Darren Till. Really? Okay. Obviously, obviously, because obviously it's on terrestrial television, it's going to be to a wider audience, and you'll have people say, 10 o'clock in the evening, and they'll see Michael Venom Page um, starch in some can, which they get from Ireland. And most people think he's the bee's knees. <laughs> Have you heard what Big John McCarthy's been saying about him? Like, he made a comment saying something like, oh, MVP's record right now is equivalent to what Anderson Silva was doing. And everyone was calling oh, yeah, about saying, I was "Oh, big." That live when he said that. Did you hear Paul Daly actually got fired from Bellator? For saying, I think he was talking about like his fight. Like he said, he he knew he could beat him. Like he was pretty much turned his analyst job into like uh pretty much he was kind of trash talking a little bit. But I didn't think it was anything crazy. Like when I was watching it, I wasn't like, oh my god, he's he's trashing Michael Venom Page. Like it, it honestly seemed like he was kind of coming at it from a realistic standpoint. But I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Like, well, you I, got. I don't know. You're gonna expect that from Paul Daly because him and MVP have had. Like a rivalry for a good few years now. Daly himself likes to embrace the trash talk, so I I didn't see an issue with it. And especially when you got all when you got over like fighters turned pundits there. I mean, like Chael says that sort of thing all the time. You just take it as part of the show. So I think they are being very harsh on Daly to sack him, and I think he's right as well. I mean, when you what you what seventeen and one, and you're fighting a three and one guy in the main event. You're right. You're right. I feel like it was kind of premature to sack him. I, I don't like Big John on commentary in Bellator. I think that's really bad. I think Big John on commentary is bad. Everybody hates on Mike Goldberg. Everybody likes to bring up clips where he, you know, he says fighters' names wrong. Like, have you seen that Joanna clip where he completely flubs on it? You know, Kana Watanabe, uh, it's tons of stuff like that. And but the thing I, is, when I you actually like Mike Goldberg in um, in Bellator, but I think they need to set him up with somebody like Jimmy Jim Smith, like Jimmy Smith. I feel like if they bring it back and set him up with Mike Goldberg, like you need somebody like that. You can't have somebody that just is monotone the whole time and describing everything technically. You can't have somebody like that in Big John. You need somebody who's got like a bit more emphasis on excitement. But nothing too crazy. You can't have too crazy. Like you can't really have Morrow and Mike Goldberg, Morrow Renault and Mike Goldberg in the same in the same booth. Like that wouldn't really make any sense. They'd just be both yelling. But I feel like somebody like Jimmy Smith, I feel like he'd be a good replacement. I'm very high on Jimmy Smith. Back. I think it was I think it was a real shame that the UFC got rid of him, to be honest. Very knowledgeable. Yeah, they only gave him like a one year deal, like there was that moment in UFC's period where they were trying to find the dream team commentary team after they got rid of Mike Goldberg, and I think they kind of flubbed on it. Like they kind of just 
ended up with what they got, you know? Like, they tried a whole bunch of things. Like, they brought in that WWE announcer at one point. You remember that guy? Uh, Todd Christian. Yeah, and Patience Gaethje, he's in that video. Like, he's in the Michael Johnson fight. He commentated the Michael Johnson versus Justin Gaethje fight. I thought he was pretty good, but I guess they got rid of him. Maybe they had, like, a six-month deal or something with him. And then Jimmy Smith, he only had a one-year deal, and I guess they just didn't want him back. And basically, we're just down with DC, John Anik, and Joe Rogan. That's what I think is the dream team right now for the UFC. I don't think Dominic Cruz is good with the other guys right now. I think he's okay on the analyst desk, but not in commentary. The story I heard was that when they got rid of Goldberg... John Anik was only supposed to be a, a temporary replacement. They were hoping to try and get somebody else in. There were a lot of names going around. There was a rumor that I think Jim Rome was the name that a lot of people were thinking of. And Anik oh, was wow. only supposed to be a temp. But then Anik obviously grew into the role. People saw how Joe and DC got on so well. And they thought, let's stick with it. And everybody was upset when they got rid of Mike Goldberg. I think it's a better decision in hindsight. I think John Anik has really grown into that role. Well, from what I heard, like, Mike Goldberg, they didn't really have him on, like, an annual salary. I think they were uh, giving him, like, I think they were inflating, like, they were giving him just promotions and promotions or something. Like, they didn't have him on an annual salary. It's something like that. And at one point, they were just paying him, like, a ridiculous amount of money, like, way more than Joe Rogan, where it just didn't make any more sense in the current UFC climate during the Reebok days. So that's how they got rid of them. And I think maybe as, I think maybe as well, and it's something that we were planning to touch on later on in the show, is that I think the UFC want to try and move away from sort of its its past. I think Goldberg was seen as sort of like a voice of the past, like during like sort of the, the Chuck Liddell days, the Chuck Liddell Tito Ortiz days, and he wanted to be seen, hey, we've got a new modern clean product here so they wanted to disassociate themselves with anything like that so like goldberg went face the pain went the sponsorships went and that's what we have now you have a good point i'm i'm one of the people that like that type of stuff i'm the ones that got hooked on it but i guess it's my fault for getting into the game too late you know i see what you mean they wanted to change everything they wanted to make everything to a new product and make everything clean and slick. They didn't want it to be like a barbarian type of thing. They wanted to make it look like this could be in like the Olympics or something. This could be on every single like television. This could be basically NBA or NFL, something clean and slick, nothing barbaric about it. I mean, I hate the Reebok deal from a business perspective. And obviously there's a lot of fighters who quite rightly were upset about losing out on the income. But I would much rather take the fight kits over a guy with dude wipes written across his bum. Well, yeah, I see why they wanted to do the Reebok deal. Like, you could sell way more merch with that. You could, like, turn it into basically, like, the NHL or something where you got jerseys. You could turn it into something like that where you could sell, like, a fighter jersey or something. But I feel like they could have done that without really doing the Reebok deal. But if... I don't know. They could I be doing like... more with it, mind you. I mean, have you seen the walkout t-shirt that Conor McGregor's going to be wearing this weekend? Is it the one with, like, the... It looks like the action figure on it? <laughs> That's the one. 
Oh yeah, I've seen that one. That looks awful, but after seeing that commercial where like he, it's for the shoes or whatever that he's doing, like the new Nike shoes, Reebok shoes or whatever, it makes sense why they did that, but they should have released the ad first before they released the shirt because when you first saw that shirt, it was so funny. Like I couldn't believe that they were releasing something like that. The one that comes in my, I think the only Reebok shirt which I actually thought was quite good, I think it was one that uh, Chris wore when she was champion. And it was, it was like her face and that like the Brazilian face paint, it was Cyborg Nation written across it. That one actually did look quite good. Yeah, that one looked good. I like that. I like all the Cyborg merch that she has. She always likes to make it look like uh, Brazilian pride and everything. So, like she likes to have all the barbarian primal instincts on the shirts i like to bring up that that word all the time but that's my best way to describe mma whenever somebody asks me why i watch it it's just barbaric and primal where do you stand on the main event they just announced obviously we're keeping on the brazilian theme there with cyborg we're moving on to this they just announced this uh, today um kevin lee versus charles Oliveira. Uh, I'm one of those people that I would have liked to see in Islam Makachev versus Kevin Lee. I think this is the right time and the right place for something like that. But I guess maybe Kevin Lee, maybe the fight just wasn't even possible. I think maybe it was something like that. Like maybe Islam didn't want to do it or something like that. So I feel like maybe Kevin Lee just wanted to get back in there as soon as he could. And that's why he took the main event. Is it the main event? It's going to be event? the main event. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. That's a good fight. I'm going to be very intrigued by it. I mean, obviously, both are fantastic grapplers, so I'm very intrigued to see if it goes to the ground. But a lot of it might obviously be recency bias, but I'm very high on Kevin Lee after what he did to Grigor. Oh, yeah, after he came out of TriStar. And, I mean, Joe Rogan was gloating about that for, like, weeks on end. He said, hey, Kevin, go to TriStar. They'll turn your career around. And then, obviously, pulls off one of the best knockouts of the year. Absolutely, absolutely. Gregor Gillespie is the best fisherman. Well, he is the best fisherman in MMA still, I guess. Nobody has taken that away from him. But before that, he, nobody wanted to fight him. Like he was basically everybody was saying, "Oh, this guy's pretty much the new Khabib. He's pretty much Khabib Gillespie," and nobody wanted to fight him. And a lot of people thought Kevin Lee was going to get whooped in that fight. I I picked Gregor to win that one. I thought we Me wouldn't too. see. I thought we wouldn't see the impact of the tri-star move until the fight after. But Kevin looked great in there. I mean, he's striking, especially looks so much cleaner. Absolutely, the way he chained all his combinations together at the last final sequence there—that was perfect. He tra he trained perfectly, in my opinion. Came out there in a tip-top shape. He was ready to go. And Johnny Walker's going to try star as well, so I'm going to be intrigued to see how he does against Krylov. Yeah, it's a perfect video title right there. Imported Johnny Walker, <laughs> imported from Canada. It's a shame to see what happened to Walker. He had a lot of hype behind him, and obviously, credit where it's due, Corey Anderson came in and put an absolute show, but it would have been so good to see Johnny Walker get that win and just continue that hype train. I mean, light, light heavyweight needs... I don't. I wouldn't necessarily say it needs a big star. I actually think the division is a lot better than people give it credit for. But when you have John on top and looking so dominant, it makes the rest of the division look worse. 
Yeah, I feel like now compared to like around four years ago or three years ago, I think the lightweight light heavyweight division has changed dramatically. I feel like there's you know you got your Dominic Reyes's, you got your Johnny Walkers. I feel like there's some new blood in there, and Anthony Smith, a a veteran, like you know he's been in the game since Strike Force, but you know he's coming back. He beat a uh, what was his last fight? Gustafson. He beat him in the main event, pretty much retired him. Gustafson put his gloves down, but isn't Gustafson coming back, I'm pretty sure? Isn't he fighting, uh, who's he fighting again? I think like, he, it... I think he's taking part in the grappling tournament, but he has expressed interest in coming back. And I don't think he's been removed from the rankings either, so... It's it's a typical oh, yeah, MMA retirement. At one point, they had Gustafson versus Rockhold set up when Rockhold wanted to come up and wait to lie heavyweight. They had that fight set up for Gustafson, but I guess was that before or after he retired? Quotations. I I can't remember, but I feel like that was that might have been discussed with him. Possibly, Rockhold looks so bad in that Blahovitz fight. I mean. I, I just saw the way he looked. He looked like 90s Mark Coleman just put on too much muscle and he gassed himself out pretty much in the first two minutes. Yeah, I don't really get what his game plan was in that fight. He didn't really... Like, he's... I'm one of those guys that liked Rockhold when he, you know, he did more of his ground game. You know, he's a ground game guy. So I, I think he should have had a completely different game plan in that fight. I feel like he shouldn't have even tried to go striking in that fight. I feel like he should have immediately shot for a t- takedown in that fight. Like I, I always rag on him in like glass jaws and MMA and all that type of stuff. I always rag on Luke Rockhold, but I don't hate the guy. I feel like he should have went in for a takedown in that fight. He's he's not a shitty fighter in my opinion. He's just making a lot of mistakes. Do you ever feel guilty when you make a video which is quite negatively tinged? Yeah, you're probably surprised to hear that I'm such an upbeat guy when a lot of my stuff is pretty depressing. Like, I'm the guy that made depressing moments in MMA, for God's sakes. Like, I'm the guy that sat through that Mark Coleman versus Fedor 2 fight and edited together the backstage footage. But, yeah, you're right. I do, at some point, I do get a, a little emotional. Like, it feels bad to edit type of stuff like that. But I feel like... It's the fight game. Like, you don't see anything like that in NFL. You don't see anything like that in, like, MLB or anything like that. Like, it's a completely different sport, and that's why I like to showcase it. Because I always feel like there's this, almost this sort of pressure. Obviously, you know that you don't really want to make negative videos, but you know that this sort of thing attracts views. You know that people are lean towards, say, watching, like, the worst fights of 2018 or... Fighters who had a bad 2019, stuff like that. So you sort of feel like you have to go into that peer pressure. I always like to try and balance a video which is quite negatively tinged and then do something quite positive afterwards. Or at least if you are showing something negative, at least try and end things on a positive note. Because I did, recently I did Worst Ultimate Fighter contestants and I included Noah Inhofer. But I made a big point to point out how good Noah's life has become since leaving the show. I sort of felt like I had to put that in there. That was the guy that, um, the girlfriend controversy, right? Yes. Yeah, you you did a good point about that. You said that he, he ended up marrying the girl. He ended up, he fought a couple more times after that. And he also, doesn't he teach? He teaches now, right? He runs a CrossFit gym. 
Yeah, he runs a CrossFit gym. So yeah, I like to balance it out too. Like I'm working on fatherhood, Cerrone. The opening minute is uh, basically is back when he fought Darren Till and Masvidal. He had that he had that runoff there after he knocked down Matt Brown and um, Rick Story. Rick Story, Rick Story. Yeah, I forgot about Rick Story. Sorry, but um, one of the best Rick nicknames in the fighting, sport, mind you, Rick the Hollow Story. Rick Story, I think he's fighting in PFL now, I believe. But yeah, there was that, as I was saying, that little, that little, probably runoff there where he lost to Masvidal and he lost to Till. But then right after that, like this is only the opening minute, I'm going to show the, when he came back, you know, after he had his kid, obviously, fatherhood Cerrone, and he had that great fight with Nancy Medeiros, and then he had that great fight with Hernandez, and then he had that, amazing fight with Ally Quinta. That's pretty much going to be it. And then I'm going to end it with whatever happens with Connor and Zeroni. That's why I'm waiting. It's not out yet. That's that's why it's not out yet. It's pretty much finished right now, but I'm just waiting to see what's going to happen there. That's a big risk when it comes to working in the sport is when you make a YouTube video, you have to try and be careful that you don't say or do something that might people might look back and say, ha, ha, you got that one wrong. Because one of the big mistakes I made quite early on, I did a video, it was actually the video which really took the channel off. I did the five biggest one-hit wonders in MMA, and I included Holly Holm as number one. And because of that, I sort of have to subconsciously root against Holly to make sure that video is still valid. I see your point there. I have a good story about that. Like when I made a uh, Chris Cyborg isn't human that like pretty much the second video I did like right after the Nunes fight, I got like tons of comments. That's the first time I ever experienced something like that. Like a video aging horribly. I got tons of comments, tons of comments. And I was pretty much pressured into making like a Nunes video like a week later. But it's just a thing that you just got to deal with. Lately, I've just been not not going giving into that at all like lately i've just been going with my own thing like the only time i changed my plans was i wanted to do fatherhood Cerrone back when he was going to fight justin gaethje i decided to hold off on it and i decided to make patience gaethje instead and that's the one time where holding off on it actually favored in my opinion because i feel like patience gaethje would have is a better video i feel like it's going to be a better video than fatherhood Cerrone, but I always feel like I criticize my stuff way harder than I should. A lot of people tell me this video is better than that one, this one's better than that one, so who knows? Who knows? Do you ever feel like you want to try and do different things with your YouTube video, but because people are so used to a certain style, a certain way to edit things, that you sort of have to play into that? Because one of the things I've sort of found is I want to try new things. I want to focus on stories and issues that maybe might be a bit more niche. But I, I also know that if I do, you're going to get a video which doesn't really do as many views. Because one, I'll be honest, one of my favorite videos I did, I did a retrospective on Elite XC. And I thoroughly enjoyed it because I felt like I was learning things myself. But it's one of the least watched videos. Yeah, I thought that was a good video, actually. I'm, I watched that video. I'm pretty sure we brought that up earlier in DMs. I said, a video like that's good, but I feel like it's not going to grab any attention from anybody. 
which is a real shame as well because I think they had a lot of potential. I think Elite XC, they did a lot of things right, and obviously the CBS deal was a big one there. Their yeah, issue their issue was focusing on Carano and, and Kimball. I think they went too heavy on them too, and obviously when Kimball's bubble burst, they didn't have any backup. I think that's one thing the UFC on the whole do somewhat right. They're not too reliant on one big name to carry the company. Yeah, I feel like that's something that Ryzen kind of has an issue with. They had uh, Horiguchi was leading them. You know, there was a that was their huge star. But he thought, oh, this guy should fight DJ and Juan. He should go to UFC, and then that bubble kind of burst with Kai Asakura. But I feel like UFC, they have the best. You know, they they sort of spaced out all their pieces properly. They don't really have one king in the middle of their board. They have a bunch of people in the back. And I feel like that's working in their favor. I feel like PFL, they need to, you know, sort of push somebody like Ray Cooper the third more. I feel like they should push him instead of pushing Kayla Harrison. Because I feel like they're pushing all their marbles onto Kayla Harrison. And there's not much you can do with Kayla. Obviously, because she's she's fighting in... It's, it's a one-person division. Lightweight doesn't exist yeah. anywhere else. And, and I can't even think of any other lightweight women other than the people in PFL. And most of those are... I mean, Sarah Kaufman. Sarah Kaufman's an actual 135. She was fighting 20 pounds yeah. higher than what she should be. Yeah, like, I seriously can't think of any other lightweight women. <laughs> other than... Um, Pacheco or whatever, the girl that she was fighting against in the finale. She was pretty good. But I feel like Kayla Harrison, I don't know if she can really grow in PFL. I think maybe she'd have to switch up divisions and go to maybe something like Bellator. I feel like Bellator would be a good step and so for Kayla Harrison. I've heard of fan theory. And there's a little bit of, obviously, 2 plus 2 equals 5. Part of the reason why the UFC haven't got rid of featherweight yet is because they're readying themselves for Kayla, say, a year down the line. I can see that. I can see something like that happening. I mean, that, that that's obviously a broad theory. My personal opinion is, is I think the UFC are quite a proud... proud I say pride, obviously, the uh, irony there. I think the UFC are... <laughs> I'm here all week. I think the UFC are too proud to admit they created the featherweight belt for Cyborg. And I think if they were to get rid of it, which in my opinion they should do because it's a non-existent division. Everyone yeah, would the just... The real featherweight right now is Megan Anderson. Like they had Katz and Gano in there. I get... Was she even in there? I don't think she was in there. I just only remember her because she fought Megan Anderson. Megan Anderson is a natural. She fights at that way. She's a natural featherweight. Like she was in... What what uh, organization was Megan Anderson in before? Because I remember there was a lot of hype behind Megan Anderson. People thought she was going to be the one to take out Chris Cyborg. Was she, where was she in? Invicta. Trying to think. Yeah, Invicta. Everybody thought Megan Anderson was going to be the one to beat Chris Cyborg, but now she's the only one really in featherweight. So I agree with you. I think they should close it. Where do you stand on Felicia Spencer? Obviously, as a Canadian as well. Canadian girl. Felicia, I feel like that fight she had with Chris Cyborg, like, she didn't really get 
too beat up. Like, I feel like it wasn't like, well, it was a, she got beat up, obviously, but I feel like if she fought somebody like Megan Anderson, I feel like she could take a, advantage of her ground game. Did she fight Megan Anderson? I First round submission. Oh, yeah, see? That, that tells you how much your mind breaks out in podcasting. Like, I should have thought of that. But yeah, there you go. First round submission from Felicia Spencer. I feel like she could uh, she could be probably always in the top three there. I feel like maybe she could be a champion since now Cyborg is out. But who knows what they're going to do with the belt there. Other than Nunes. Like, they, are they going to set up something like Nunes versus Felicia Spencer? Like, I doubt it, you know? The story I've heard, I know that there's pretty much four women's um, featherweights in the UFC. All four of them are fighting on the on the Norfolk card. They're going to be on the undercard to the Benavidez-Davison fight. And I think what they're going to do is they're going to see how good each fighter performs. And I think the winner of that one fights Nunes in Brazil. Okay. Because the UFC like to have a Brazilian in the main event for the Brazil card. And unless they do what Cejudo wants and give him Jose Aldo, Nunes is the only Brazilian who's sort of around the title picture. So I think they're either going to give her the winner of this sort of featherweight tournament or Irene Aldana. I feel like Aldana should fight somebody like Spencer next, like a clear title contender fight. Like, I feel like... Well, I feel like that fight with... um, um, what was the last person she fought? I forget her name because she was Brazilian, but it was literally on the Covington versus Usman card. Caitlin Vieira. She got, yeah, Caitlin Vieira. I feel like Vieira was about to be that breakout star in that division. I feel like she probably sh- was going to win that fight. I don't want to say she should have won that fight, but I feel like she could have won that fight. But Aldana, she's a different type of animal. I'm very high on Irene Aldana. Such a good technical striker. Very long as well. She's basically a more aggressive Holly Holm. And she's got, dare I say, I think she's a bit taller than Holly as well. The issue I always have with Aldana, though, is if the fight's technical, she's capable of beating anyone. But if it does become a brawl, like Rocky Pennington did, that's where she gets found out. She needs to sort out that side of her game if she wants to stand a chance, in my opinion. What do you think happens to Holly if she loses the Pennington fight? Well, the UFC is still very high on Holly. I think, obviously, we've seen how many big opportunities she's gotten, even though her form hasn't been great. In an ideal world, I would start using Holly as sort of a... bit like what Jeremy Stevens is for Featherweight. If there is somebody who's coming up who has a bit of form, you give them Holly to see if they're worthy of being in the top five. If she was to lose to Rocky, um, obviously her and Yana aren't going to fight. I could see her versus Ketlin, because I think Ketlin's down to number seven, number eight now. My fear is, though, they're still going to try and keep her in the top five. So I could see her versus Aldana being set up, regardless of the result. You don't think she's going to get... Do you think she's going to get something like bumped down to the prelims, or do you think she's always going to be a main card fighter? She's always going to be a main card fighter. I would move her further down the card, personally, because I think if you've lost two of your past six, not two of your past eight, I should say, 
that's a bad run of form. In my opinion, you should only really sort of have that sort of record and be co-maining if you're sort of like an Anderson Silva type or you're, bit, you're one of the proper legends of the sport. No, definitely not. I don't think so. I feel like she needs to establish herself. Like, she keeps on getting these big wins, and then she ends up getting something like the Holly, or not the Holly Holyfield fight, the Nunes versus Holm fight, where she got head kicked, knocked out. Like, something like that will happen. Like, she needs to get on a nice win streak instead of getting all these title shots, title shots. I feel like if she's a nice, like, gatekeeper there in that division, I feel like she could be strong there. But they just keep on giving her opportunities too soon. I read somewhere that... This is going to be Holly Holm's 11 fight in the UFC. She's 5-5 five and five right now. Half of those fights have been title fights. Wow. <laughs> and apart from one, she's never beaten a top 10 opponent. I can't believe that. Yeah, I think Raquel Pennington was 14th. Uh, Marion Renault and Betch were 11th. And Megan Anderson was unranked. Wow, you're right. <laughs> I'm surprised. You're right. So I had to think about that when all she gets is title shots. I am actually glad they booked the Raquel Pennington fight in that regard because I think she needed a to quote unquote a step down in quality. I mean that's no disrespect to Rocky, but there is a big difference between fighting say the Cyborgs and the Nunes and then going down to Raquel Pennington. Definitely. I mean if Rocky. If Rocky does what she did later on in the first fight and turns this into a brawl, because, I mean, Holly started that fight very strong. I actually watched that a couple of days ago in the gym. Size difference between the two, absolutely massive. That was one thing that really surprised me. Holly starts that fight very strong, but it's something I've always seen from Holly in most of her fights. She starts a fight strong, but she doesn't change things up. And Rocky started reading some of the cues and started finding a lot more success as the fight went on. Yeah, I think this rematch that happens, I got I got Pennington in that fight. I feel like Pennington might pull off the off, the upset. I feel like it could be a great fight for her. Not so much because not so much that Mikel Pennington has got better. I just think Father Time is catching up with Holly. I mean she's thirty eight years old yeah, now and I think I think the Nunes fight was the first time I thought she looked like an old fighter. Just a footwork and a movement just didn't seem like what it once was. What do you think about um, Zayli, Zhang Weili? What do you think her fight against Joanna is going to be like? I think that's a really intriguing fight. I really do. I think there's a lot of people who are quite high on Weili, obviously because of what she did to Andrade. But at the same time, I think if there was one person in that top five who she had the best chance again, it was somebody like Andrade who maybe is a bit one-dimensional, quite predictable in her movements. So I think she was. I think the UFC struck the iron when it's hot. Obviously, Chinese world champion, massive for them. I don't know how good Whaley is because of that fight. Obviously, she's good enough to take down quite a one-dimensional brawler like Andrade, but. Yuan is a completely different beast in terms of her footwork. And more than anything, I think Yuana has got her mojo back. I think there was a time when she started like starting to think about things outside of the sport. The way and she fought on giving her title shots, like with uh, Valentina. Like he immediately set up that 
third fight. I didn't have as much of an issue with that, to be honest. I think Flyweight needed a marquee matchup. And there wasn't anyone around that top five that was going to give Valentina that. So, obviously, you build on the whole Muay Thai rivalry between herself and Joanna. And to their credit, I think Joanna looked looked great at 125. She looked much healthier. So, I could maybe see that as a potential move for her if the title, title shot comes to naught. Yeah, I like Joanna as a fighter. I just don't like how often she likes to complain and make up excuses after she loses. I feel like she does that way too often. She said that she lost her Valentina fight because recently she said it's because of her relationships or something. Like she had a bad breakup or something and that made her in the fight bad. Like, I don't get how that works, but... I think think with fighters, there's a lot of fighters out there which... You almost have to be delusional to be a fighter. You've got to think that you're the bee's knees because if you don't, you're never going to achieve any success. So that's why you see so many of them put on like the bravado, put on the game faces. And I think Joanna's like that. I mean, Joanna speaks very highly of herself. But I don't think that she's an arrogant person. If you will look at a lot of the social media, she does wonders for children's charities. I think it's just part of, part of the fight game. I think the only fighter that does that that I don't really, like I always say he's probably lying, is somebody like Anthony Pettis. He says it all the time. He always has an excuse. But have you seen what he said recently? He said that uh, he was having a USADA test and he like cut his thumb or something on the lid and that like it was right before the Diaz fight and his coach is telling him he's pretty much begging him not to fight. Did you hear about that? I heard about that. I don't know how much of that I... um. I don't think he looked great against Diaz. It's a funny one when it comes to Anthony Pettis, you know, because there's still these flashes of brilliance. There's still these moments that make people sit up and say, how did you manage to do that? I mean, submitting Kiers there, knocking out Wonderboy. Absolutely. But apart from that, it's, it's just been losses after losses. I think he's another guy like Holly who maybe needs to take a step down in quality. So... I'm happy he's taken someone like Diego Ferreira because Ferreira deserves that chance as well because he's been on great in the fall. Yeah, that's this weekend, isn't it? That's this weekend. Uh, it opens up uh, the main card. Man, isn't it? It opens is it up the, the main event? No, I think Holly versus Rocky's the core main. It's going to open up oh, the main okay. card. Yeah, I, I could see Pettis. He had that fight against Chiesa. Like, he's kind of on and off, like sort of like Holly, but I feel like not... I feel like his fight with Ferguson, like he almost finished Tony Ferguson. Like he made him do the Dark Souls, he made him do the Dark Souls roles. Like he pretty much had him rocked in that fight. But I feel like he just, he always gasses himself out. Like he always gives up in fights like that. I'm not saying he, he's weak or anything, but he doesn't really, he sort of has a confidence problem, I feel like. And that was something he never had when he was on the rise. Because he was winning so much, he never had that sort of mental struggle of what happens when I face adversity. And I think the moment he got blitzed by Dos Anjos, I don't think he ever really gained his confidence back. Yeah, I don't think he expected something like that from RDA. He's in a bit of a limbo as well, RDA. Because he's actually going to be fighting Kiesa soon. But like, I think he's one of those guys who's too big for lightweight, but too small for welterweight. 
Yeah, I feel like he had that really great run in welterweight, but I feel like he needs to find his footing again. Like, he needs to go on another tear like he did in welterweight. Who's the Because he was pretty much, he was almost like in title contention at one point. Interim title. He fought Colby for the interim title. Yeah. Like he, if he won that, he would have been fighting uh, Woodley at the time. Imagine that fight. Well, there was a story that went around, you know, that they wanted Woodley versus Dos Anjos to headline 224. But then Woodley oh, okay. Woodley wanted to be on uh, 226 because that was going to be a steep hit versus DC card. So he wanted the big um, super fight money. So they deliberately booked Dos Anjos versus Colby for 225 to box Woodley in. That way he couldn't get that fight. Okay. <laughs> Again, a lot of this is just rumours. A lot of this is 2 plus 2 equals 5. But uh, that was one of the stories that went around. Because Dana and Woodley were at real loggerheads for a long, long time. Yeah, uh, Woodley... Pretty much like his attitude ever since he lost the title. It's been a real snobby attitude. Like he's been rapping and everything. But like his attitude, it's just, I think that's the worst part about him is the way that he approaches the fight game now. Like he comes at it like he's still the champion, basically. Like he hasn't fought since that Usman fight. Like when was that? Like March? March? Uh, March. Yeah, March. Yeah, like he hasn't fought since then. And. He didn't want to fight Edwards for the longest time, even though that's the clear fight to make for Edwards. He's got to fight somebody like that. I think I'm very high on Leon Edwards. I think Leon Edwards has... I think he has a good chance of beating Woodley. Whether or not I can see him beating Usman, because he too fought before. And yeah, Leon's a lot better than they were first time. I don't see him beating Usman at this moment in time. I think the guy that's going to beat Usman is a big power puncher that connects early. Because the guy's cardio is ridiculous. Yeah, he went through five rounds with Covington and he still was able to finish him. I have to hold my hands up. I did a preview show about that one and I actually got a lot of blowback for this. I I didn't think that fight was going to be great. And I did think that you had more... Ch- I thought that Max versus Volkanovski was going to be a more entertaining fight. More intriguing fight and I thought that should have headlined. Credit where it's due, both guys put on an absolute show. So I'll hold my hands up and say I got that wrong. Because like every single rivalry fight is pretty much crap. Like every single one always turns out crap. Like the huge one was Rashad versus Rampage. And that one was like, it was an okay fight, like nothing crazy. But like, I see your point. I I don't get why people would be blowing back. I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) Was it Rashad versus Rampage? That was... That was basically the follow-on from Tough Ten, am I right to say? Yeah, that was a tough. That was a tough season that they were on. That was like the highest-grossing season. That was Tough Ten heavyweights. That, I think I'm right to say that pay-per-view did a million bots. Not surprised. I always love looking at um, stats when it comes to buy rates. I'm quite interested on the business side of it, and it's it's so fascinating to me to see how certain fighters pull in bigger numbers and so like the fluctuations of the division i think because i think one of the big sort of bugbears that some people have about nunez is when you look at how she was compared to ronda 
you've gone from like Ronda who was pulling in like 1.3, 1.4 million buys and Nunes pulls in like less than 10% of that. Yeah, well, I think it also has to do with Ronda. She was like doing everything. Like She was going to be like the lead star in Roadhouse, like a remake of Roadhouse. She was in like one of the Fast and Furious. She was everywhere. So like she was pretty much the perfect like champion for any casual audience. So I can see why people would want to draw those comparisons. But Nunez, she's just not like that. She's not like that at all. She's more of like, uh, I like to think of her like she's got the same style, like Mike Tyson, I like to think, like a female Mike Tyson when she gets her hands going. Like in the cyborg fight, I thought it was perfect, perfect technical, like I had a dream. Literally, I saw that fight in a dream like a week before it happened. I was tweeting about it saying like, I think Nunez is going to knock out cyborg. I keep on thinking she's technical. She's got more technicality in her movement. That's exactly what happened. I remember saying to my friends, and they're sort of quite high on, on Chris, before that fight started, I said, I've got a bad feeling about this. I just, there was just something about it. I was in the same boat as you, but it was just something that just made me think, this isn't going to be a win for Chris. Yeah, I feel like that was the absolute worst case scenario for Chris Sogboy. Like, it was exactly what Dana White wanted to happen, in my opinion. I feel like he wanted that to happen a long time yes. ago. He wanted somebody to knock Sogboy out. Dana is, and we've seen this with Askren as well, I think Dana, Dana doesn't like it when there's a fighter who makes a name outside the UFC. If he gets the opportunity to sort of knock them down a peg or two and say, hey, where are the top dogs here? He'll thrive at it. I mean, you see it in the social media as well. You can see how much he's... And he was never very high on Nunes before then. But look at some of no. his social media now. Completely different story. Well, have you heard that story about Gina Carano? She went on the MMA Hour. She said, like, when she was going to fight Ronda, like, they were going to give her, like, something like one million or something like that. And she was pretty much ready to go, but she said that she wanted, like, a six-month training camp. Like, she wanted a little bit because she was still doing movies and stuff. So she wanted time to get ready for the fight. And, like, pretty much, like, two weeks later, Dana immediately went out and said she's fucking us around and all this stuff. And basically, that's the reason why she didn't fight Ronda was because of Dana. I don't see that fight. Something like that has happened. I don't see that fight ending well for Gina. If that fight happened, I don't see Gina doing anything different. Because I don't think Gina's footwork was good enough to handle the blitz from Ronda. And I think Ronda would clinch no. up too early. No. I feel like it would have been a super fight, but then I don't think it would have lived up to the hype of something like Chris Cyborg versus Ronda. I feel like it would have been, you know, a bit overhyped. I tell you what, just staying on the subject of Ronda, I follow her on social media, you know, and like Ronda gets a, a lot of like negativity. I think there's a lot of fans that sort of resented how in, in your face she was. But if you look at her social media stuff, you know, she's a completely different person. She's actually very endearing. She's quite a goofy figure. Really? I haven't followed her at all since her last fight. She's still in WWE, right? She's taken a break to start a family. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so there's going to be a couple of uh, baby browns running around soon, soon enough. 
Yeah, the last I heard about her was when, like, her house got broken into, and Travis Brown said they wanted to be, like, locked in a room with the people that broke into the house or something like that. Yeah, she's surprising. I'm surprised she did, like, a turnaround like that. Yeah, she went to WWE. Um, there was a lot of people who were maybe quite a bit skeptical. Obviously, Vonda's coming in. She's a big media star. She's not... She's going to be one to be the centre of attention. From all accounts, she... She got on quite well with her, a lot of the um, backstage people. Uh, her work in WWE was very well received. A lot of people thought she was worthy of being pushed as highly as she was. I mean, the woman headlined WrestleMania. So, considering some people like to say, oh, Ronda fell and crashed hard. Not really. Who do you think had a better transition, Ronda or Kane? Between the two, Ronda. I mean, Kane's stuff when he was in... I have to be honest, I'm a bit of a wrestling geek. Kane's stuff when he was in uh, Lucha Libre. Considering he's, what, 230, 240 pounds? Seeing a guy flying around like that was fantastic. <laughs> I mean, honestly, check out some of Kane Velasquez's stuff yeah, when he was I've in Lucha Libre. Clips. It's crazy. Ridiculous. That, uh, that swinging movie he was doing with his legs when he was picked up that guy with his legs and he spun him around, that's insane. I'm surprised he didn't get hurt or anything doing that. But of course, the WWE, they very much paint this idea that bigger guys have to fight. You have to just chuck around the smaller lot. Yeah. So he was just basically a, a hoss. But they described him as hoss wrestlers. And it doesn't play to Kane's strengths. And obviously Kane has these issues with his knees. He's been out of action yeah. for a long time. It's, it's not been successful so far for Kane. I hope it does work because obviously I loved him when he was in... Uh, the UFC, but it's been a rough start so far. I feel like, um, is he going to fight in WWE still? Is he still doing that? Because the last fight, like he fought Brock Lesnar or whatever, and he lost, quotations, but I, I don't know if he's still fighting in that. Well, there's a rumor that the this is how surreal... Uh, wrestling's got right now. They want to do Brock Lesnar versus Tyson Fury as a WrestleMania match. But if Tyson was to lose, Kane's going to be the backup. Wow. That, that's that's going to be a thing. I I'm, can't believe that. I can't believe Tyson Fury is going to be in WWE. Can't believe that. Well, he actually did the Saudi Arabia show. He had a, he had a feud, in inverted commas, with, um, with Braun Strowman. Like he did the full on, um, he basically did it like a Saudi Arabian version of like living in America. So he came in in all the Arabian gear <laughs> and the lights and everything. Fantastic show. I mean, and for a non wrestler, he was okay. How do you see that rematch with Wilder going? You think he walks away with it? Technically, I think Tyson can beat the beat the blocks off Deontay Wilder. I don't think Deontay... To be honest, I don't think Deontay's all that great of a boxer. But the guy has so much power. Like, yeah, you said that he's like the boxing version of Derek Lewis, basically. <laughs> so a generalization, yeah. issues, obviously. <laughs> like, but Derek's not really all that technical, but if he connects with you, Derek can knock anybody out. Absolutely. Uh, the only UFC card that I've been to live was actually Derek Lewis versus Travis Brown. That was in Halifax. And I, I remember, like, I still got the image in my head when he was ground and pounding 
Travis Brown, Mario Yamasaki was the referee, so like it went on a bit too long, and I was like right, I was pretty much in the front row, like I wasn't VIP, like I was pretty much as far as you could go without being VIP and paying like 500 bucks or whatever, it was in Halifax, so the tickets were like only uh, like 100 bucks, so <laughs> I was pretty close for pretty cheap, and yeah, I remember that fight, Tra uh, Travis Brown like was kneeing him in the belly, and it was pretty much, it it was almost done for for Derek Lewis like he almost lost and then all of a sudden he just came back like he's got that insane power and Travis Brown just wasn't ready for that Travis in his later years was really strange you know I, I I think training at Glendale didn't do him any favors but he went through this phase where he was controlling a lot of those early fights and then just ended up getting caught I mean he did the same thing against Derek Lewis and then Alinek I think caught him and he was never the same after that it's People forget how good Travis Brown was when he was on the rise. And he was all like hammering Josh Barnett with elbows and doing the same thing with the Gonzaga and knocking out Overeem. The guy was dangerous. Yeah, it wasn't really until he had that fight with Bigfoot that people started doubting him. Like, he could have been, I feel like he could have fought for a title if he kept on going the way that he was going. Well, I know the Fadoom fight was a, a title eliminator. Oh yeah, he lost by decision, uh, didn't he? Yeah, but Vadum was fantastic in that fight, mind you. Yeah. He, he's another guy that people don't appreciate how good he was. Absolutely. Like, he's the only guy. He's the first guy to beat Fedor. Incredible. And then he went on to beat Cain Velasquez. That's why a lot of people like to bring up Verdum in the GOAT conversation, because a lot of the times he beat the other GOATs, you know? Ah, Joel, Joel Rogan logic. Yeah, just basically doing an MMA calculator right there. But really, he didn't really have like that time where he went on like a complete tear in the UFC as a champion. Like that never happened for him. He just got, I don't know what he was doing in that Stipe fight. Like he just completely disappointed all the fans in Brazil that night. Like he just dropped his hands and just ran forward and got knocked out. Insane. I think that's one of the best examples I can think of where a fighter was influenced by the crowd because there was, what, 40,000 people in Curitiba? Yeah. And I think Vadum just got caught up in the moment and said, I need to knock this guy out. Yeah, that's uh, that's one good uh, clip to play if you want uh, crowd silencers in MMA. That's a good one because you can literally hear only Stipe's corner after he knocks him out like everybody else is just dead silent in there is that going to be a hint towards one of your next videos crowd silences I feel like what I want to do is fatherhood Cerrone and then maybe I'll do another compilation style like crowd silencers could be a good one but I was thinking maybe maybe something like depressing moments part two I feel like there's way more I can work with now like I always bring up the um, the Max Holloway versus uh, Poirier fight. You got the backstage footage with Mini Holloway there with the thrill and agony. That's a good one I could use. So yeah, I'm thinking maybe Depressing Moments Part 2 could I've, be the next compilation style. I've got a couple of uh, videos which are in the works. I've got both of my narrators working on those. Um, obviously, they've got their own things to be working with, obviously, their own businesses. So... That's sort of on the, the back burner. I'm currently writing the script though, so a bit of a spoiler alert for this one. I've got uh, one of my top five videos. I always like to do videos on like a, fighters from a certain nation. 
I've got one of those in mind. I won't say which nation it is. Um, and just on the subject you were mentioning Yamasaki there, I was thinking about doing a follow-up to my Steve Mazzagati video, which focuses, which focuses, if I can get the words out, on him. That would be a good one. Just do a Mario Yamasaki video. The worst Mario Yamasaki moments. That would be a perfect one. I think you got... um. You could do Travis Brown versus Brendan Schaub. That's a good one you could add to that. Uh, well, Valentina and Priscilla's going to be on there. Obviously, that's the one that got him canned. It did. Did you hear? Did you hear Dana's rant about it? Oh yeah, <sighs> it hasn't. <laughs> I can't think of any other sort of president of a sporting company who is as outspoken as what Dana White is. I mean, Dana's as much of a star as the fighters themselves. I can't think of anybody else who's like that. Maybe what Roger Goodall, maybe. Bernie Eccleston when he was in charge of Formula One, but those are the only two I can think of with top me head. Dana's got complete control. There's nobody like him. He can literally do anything. Like nobody can stop him basically. What are they gonna do? Fire him? And it's how I mean I love I love and hate how unprofessional Dana can be at times. Because, I mean, obviously, the guy is very charismatic and he can be quite funny. But when you have the president of the company saying that one of the top female stars looks like Vandalay Silver in a dress, you sort of think, <laughs> how could you get away with that? Yeah, if he said that in, like, modern day, it, there would be so many articles and stuff exposing him. If somebody, like, the NBA president said something like that. There would be so much controversy over it. But it's just it just doesn't apply to him. There's something about him. He's got basically God mode. Like nobody can touch him really. And the funniest bit, bit is as well about that whole scene is he actually gets up from his chair and actually plots like strutting around, <laughs> arms out and everything. I, I love I as I mentioned before, I love and hate Dana in equal measure, but the sport would be in a much worse place without him. Yeah, I couldn't see somebody like Scott Coker running the UFC. You need somebody like Dana White running the UFC. Somebody knows the trolls and stuff online. Because have you seen his Instagram and stuff? <laughs> Whenever he replies to people's comments, that's, that's the best. Like, you don't see anybody in the NBA doing that. Like, no presidents are doing that. No co-executives are doing that. Like, it's crazy. I think Scott Corker is maybe a bit too nice for his own good. Yeah. I mean, he comes across like, like a nice... Maybe if he ran the UFC, I feel like he might have given Holly, like... Might have given her a belt. Like, you know? <laughs> well, really like, just made a division for her. I'm trying to think what would it be. The nicest father fucker belt? Yeah. Because <laughs> Wonderboy has a, the nicest motherfucker belt. Yeah. He's got that on the Ariel Hawani show. I'd like to see them do a, a rematch between Masvidal and Wonderboy. <clears throat> I feel like that'd be a great rematch. With the way that Hoggy has been, he looks so much more focused. So I could see him having more of a chance, but there were doubts about Wonderboy. And I think he answered them against Luke here. So I w I'd be intrigued to see that. I'd like to see Wonderboy versus Maya. Oh, yeah, I feel like that's a fight they should have made back when Maya was, like, when he was about to fight Woodley. I feel like that's a fight they should have made. But instead they did Maya versus Masvidal, and that pretty much got him a title shot. 
Damien Maya for me is such a strange one because everything about his style should be something that people hate. Like obviously he's, he's almost 100% grappling based. But I love watching him fight because he's just so different. Yeah, he's not really like Khabib. Khabib is more like he'll suffocate you. I like to think of Damian Maya as more like a more like a python or an anaconda. Like he'll wrap around you and he'll get the neck. Where with Khabib, he'll just beat the shit out of you. I never like get the fight against Rick Story. That's a brutal finish. Like it looks like he's squeezing his head like a watermelon. He's got nose coming out. Like the blood coming out of his nose was insane. I never understood the people who think Khabib's boring. Because obviously I did the video like uh, boring MMA fights. And you have loads yeah. of people just coming out and saying, where's Khabib on this? But you look at the guy, just how brutal his ground and pound can be. And he's always chasing a finish. I mean, there's a big difference for me between Khabib and someone like a John Fitch who's just content to lay on top of you. Yeah, because Khabib, he doesn't really sit there he's always moving he's always making sure the referee doesn't stop it like with a john fitch fight there's so many times where a referee could potentially stop it and like well not stop it but stand it up you know but with khabib he's always doing an action he's always throwing an hammer fist he's always trying to go for the submission and he's never letting you go it's completely different compared to something like john fitch how do you say khabib versus tony playing out that's a really difficult question. <laughs> I don't think it turns out at all, if you want to ask me. I think it's a cursed fight. Canceled. Yeah, I think it's going to get cancelled. And if that happens, Connor seems to be hinting he's going to be the short notice replacement. I can see that happening. I could definitely see that happening. I hope not, because for me, Gagey deserves the next shot. I think Gagey, since. Ever since he lost the um, the Poirier fight, it's just been... He's completely turned it around. I mean, people like to say about Eugene Behrman and the job he's done. I think Trevor Whitman turning Justin Gagey into this knockout artist. And the stuff as well with Rosanami Yunus, the transformation in her style. Trevor Whitman, for me, is the top MMA coach right now. Oh, yeah, definitely. I would say it's him, Behrman, and then Zarabi. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, that's a good number three. I see that. So, final part of the show, we're going to have to, um, we're going to bring this up with everybody when it comes to a UFC main event that's coming up. Obviously, we've got a big one coming up. Conor McGregor versus Donald Cerrone. You're going to be the first person to predict how the fight goes. And we'll, we'll correlate how many people get them right and wrong over the course of the year. And... You know, it'll just be interesting to see when it gets to uh, December 2020, if we ever get there. And um, see how many people got uh, went the right way on the, on the predictions. Well, before we start, I just want to say, I have... Do you know Verdict MMA? Like, the app? Yes, I'm aware of it, yes. Please give us some sponsorship money, please. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Verdict verdict that I, I use it all the time but like i am the absolute worst with mma picks like i've never gotten a belt on verdict or anything like that so take my predictions with a grain of salt but i think i'm gonna go with probably i'm gonna say donald cerrone 
decision. That's a big call. I don't think anybody has got um, a decision for either man. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with the decision with Donald Cerrone. Pretty crazy, but I think maybe the way that Donald approaches this is he's going to try and play it for safe. Like, I feel like, I don't think he's going to go for a takedown. Like, there's a clip going around where Brett Okamoto straight up asks him if he's going to go for a takedown, and he says, people said I should, people say you're dumb if you stand up, but I just like the fight, man. So I feel like he's going to go out there and he's just going to give it his all. And I think as long as he doesn't get, like, what happened in the Tony fight, he doesn't get a hematoma or anything like that, I think he could get a decision. A lot, of it's, a lot of it's going to depend on that first round. Cowboy's only chance for me is to get out that first round because I don't see as good as... Connor looks in fantastic shape, but I think those cardio issues are still going to come back to haunt him, especially at 170. So if Cowboy's going to have a chance, he's going to have to get out that first round. Yeah, definitely. Who do you think won um, Nate versus Connor too? I scored it for Connor just. I think I got Connor the first, second, and fourth rounds. And they took three and five. Yeah, I remember when the decision was about to be read. I, it felt like Connor lost, in my opinion. Like, I thought they were going to call that Diaz one. But I think, I think Cerrone can do it. I think if he stays out of his range and he keeps himself properly balanced on his legs and he maybe does do some clinch work I feel like he could do a decision but this is Donald Cerrone we're talking about so take my prediction with a grain of salt and on that cheery note it is time to end the show I have to say Claire thank you very much for being the the guinea pig when it comes to this podcast and fingers crossed we can have plenty more people who will be joining us over the next 12 months and I hope that all the work with Uncle Joey and may if I can get the words out. All the work with Uncle Joey MMA continues. I love your stuff on your channel. And obviously, best of luck for the future. More to come. I hope I can work with you again. Certainly so. And we're more than happy to have you back again to talk about anything that's happening in the sport that we both know and love. All right. Good to be here. Thanks, guys. And thank you very much for tuning in to INC Radio. We have got plenty more coming up over the next few weeks and months. Um, and we hope to see you then. Bye-bye for now.